This episode of Africa Design Radio is brought to you in collaboration with the Cultural Intellectual Association Lagos, a non-profit group of creatives that seek holistic solutions to urban challenges using design and clear thinking. For more information about the CIA Lagos, please visit their website on www.cialagos.org. I hope you enjoy this episode as we capture the essence of design in the African context. This is another insightful and interesting episode of the Africa Design Radio. With me today in the studio, I have two very interesting personalities, our guests for the show, and of course, um, a guest host. I'll be introducing them shortly. This podcast is focused on the recent publications by the CIA Lagos, which is Interruptions, a compendium of 16 essays by architect and thinker, James Inedu George. Uh, so on this episode, I have a guest host and of course our main guest who is the author of um, this body of work that we'll be discussing today. Um, the guest host for today's episode is Koku Konu. He's a representative of the CIA Lagos. Uh, Koku, it's nice to have you. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Pleased to be here, Chief Wesley. All right, and we have with us architect and thinker, um, an avid reader and a very prolific writer. Um, he's also the author of you know, the book that we'll be reviewing today. Um, James Inedu George, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here today. All right. Um, yeah, so before I, I come to you, James, you know, to talk about um, the content that you put into this publication. I'd just like to you know, ask um, Koku, who represents CIA, and um, Koku, what was the motivating factor for um, this series of publications? I mean, it's been about six or seven ebooks in one month. Now, that's a lot. So what has motivated um, the CIA Lagos to publish this, this body of works? Thank you. Right, Chibweze, that's a, that's a fundamental question, and I'm glad you asked that. Um, well, the basic thing that has motivated us is the need to at least put out what we're doing in some sort of way that can be recorded. Now, if you look at most academic institutions all over the world, they always have a press attached to them. You have the Oxford Press, Cambridge Press, you know, Unilag Press, um, Ifair Press, and what are these guys pressing? They're pressing information because these are academic institutions and they do have to put out the, um, the products of their intellectual expressions. And these are done in terms of manuscripts or thesis or books, apart from all the host of things like seminars and conventions and other things like that. So as the Cultural Intellectual Association, it's our responsibility to make sure that we document, we archive, and we catalog thoughts that are emanating from the people within our circle, one, and also people outside our circle in terms of being able to put everything in context. So these publications, yes, they're not, they're not strictly academic publications, they're quasi-academics, how I would term them, but for what we have here, that's in Nigeria, and the level of consciousness and level of reading 
We've tried to make each and every one of them accessible. We've made them graphically um, visual. They're a cross between a magazine and um, a much heavier tome, like um, a book. So this is it. This is our steps to get people to start reading and understanding some of the fundamental issues that concern us. All right, great. Um, interestingly, you wrote the foreword for this book. And in that foreword, you hinted at, you know, a chance meeting with James in 2007, you know, when James approached you to um, seek employment in your firm. I mean, what was, you know, um, your state of mind, you know, when you started to read um, the work that James was putting out and how has it led to this point of, you know, um, in collaboration with the CIA, putting out, you know, this, this document? Oh, thanks. Well, you know, James is, um, <laughs> when James, when James um, first came to my office, he came as a precocious young architect, fresh out of school, and with a lot of ideas as to how to change the world. And what's fascinating about him, he's still the same precocious young architect with a lot of fascinating ideas about how to change the world. So that is consistent in, in what I've observed about James. But going back to what, why he came in, I really don't know. I don't know how he found out about me, but he'd done some homework. And when I looked at what I saw, his works were, were quite varied, and, um, not the usual student work that one sees. And I said to him, you know, if you, if, you can, if you were to join me on this, my bohemian trail, you may just believe that this is the way architecture is practiced. It's not, it's not. So you need to go and get some proper sort of like four square office experience, you know, with a boss who you report to. Because in our organization, it was very parallel. You came in when you had to come in, you did your work when you had to do it, and that was that. And if you didn't do it, well, I would scream and shout. But we didn't have reporting lines that were so traditional, and I thought that was a bad influence. <laughs> so I asked him to, um, to, to get some experience, which he did and didn't like, <laughs> if I remember rightly. But I think, I think it's not about me, it's more about James. So I think James should be yeah. <laughs> For me, it's kind of connecting everything together, which is, which is why the next question now goes to James. And um, James, I, I just wanted to know why did you think Koku would be a good influence for you as a fresh architect? I mean, well, like you said, I had, I had um, thanks for the question. I had, I had researched uh, his work. He was doing quite a lot of building Lagos for a few banks. And what I was trying to do and what I'm trying to do is, is this kind of parallel with what he does. Because I, I realized that a lot of the architects in Lagos were they weren't making architecture, they, they were doing something else. And I, I wasn't, I didn't want to be part of that. It, it wasn't going to help me grow. And it wasn't going to help me find new ways of um, expressing myself within the context of what I knew was possible in the world at the time. So um, I chased Koku down. I chased him down. He, he, the story is right, I actually chased him down. And after I left him, I tried my hand for six months on one of those organized firms and yeah, I had steam coming out of my head in a short while. So I left and I started my own thing. And okay. I, I followed that, that, that for, for a couple of years now. All right, great. Um, all right, so let's, let's move to the meat of, uh, of today's uh, session.
James, the very first piece in this uh, production is titled Tattoo. And in this piece, you kind of call for a deeper meaning to the solutions that architects provide society. And this kind of requires them to see problems for what they really are, you know, not just superficially, um, you know, to really dig deep and understand the fundamental needs of the people that these um, solutions will impact. And, you know, in the piece, you, you kind of called for collective action to be able to achieve this. I just want to know why is collective action so critical, you know, to achieving this, this way of providing solutions to our challenges in society? You see, you see, African architecture is not conventional architecture in the way that um, kind of, kind of like European architecture is that um, a single person climbs a horse and solves problems. The problems in Africa are not the problems that Europe has faced. Therefore, architecture plays a, a, a wildly different role in this part of the world, and it should play a more leading role in this part of the world. The only way that it can lead is if we renegotiate the way that we, we interact with society, we renegotiate the terms by which society sees us, and we can only do that as a collective unit for it to make sense, for it to be robust enough to not only preempt the, the problems of society, but to solve those problems and also be able to find opportunities where they exist. I think the major failings of us as architects in this part of the world is that we don't see the opportunities that lie in the open, generally. We're more interested in kind of ready-made problems. Um, somebody has a house to build, somebody has a big building to build. We, we those The people that get those kind of things are more celebrated than people who actually go out to try and find problems. So if there's a collective effort to create a, a, a new way to see our society, not as the negative, as this negative uh, press that it has, but as, as, as something that can create opportunities for people like us, if we have a collective imagination and a collective worldview about that, I think that would start to solve our problems in a way that is creative, and different, and the architect in Africa will become a new kind of being that we can now export to the world. That's where that comes from. James, that, that's, that, that's very poignant. I mean, we, you know, this um, issue of examining ourselves and our, our own um, contribution to the world debate is, I think, very fundamental because it questions the very essence of what is it that we ourselves are saying. And if we cannot look at our problems in a dispassionate way and find methods, means, ideologies that address our own particular situations. And don't forget, as um, Dele Kuku has told us, Africa is not a country. So we cannot brandish what will work for Ghana and apply it to Tanzania. Yes, but we are specifically talking about the the night. I mean, I think our Nigerian architecture, if I'm right, in, in a way. But irrespective yeah. of what, how we label it, the issue is we have to examine, compare what other people are doing, see where our own understanding comes in, and how we apply it to our own situations. Because as you rightly said, the people celebrated are not doing that cerebral work. And that's one of the reasons why we're pushing this sort of um, academic content out. I mean, architecture is not, 
Instagram. It's not what you see on Dizine. And this, I mean, um, subjects like this and talking about things like this helps those who don't know, you know, the next generation of architects coming up and even the present ones who are practicing now to look a little bit deeper. So that, that's the point I wanted to make there. But I do have another point, which I'll come to, but please go on. Uh, James, would you like to react to that? No, I think, I think that's spot on. I, I think that's spot on. Because what, what, what sells what's shiny. But that's, mm. not what, that's really not what architects do. You know? All right. So um, let's move over to the second piece in the republication. Um, this one is titled An Architectural Treatise. And in this piece, you kind of highlight the reactionary nature of architecture um, because it borrows from archaeology. And you credit postmodernist Le Corbusier for breaking the cycle to his work Villa Savoye in 1929. My question to you is, how do you think architects could be more proactive in meeting the needs of society today? Bear in mind that the needs of a century ago has greatly evolved. So how do we now meet the needs of the 21st century man? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, let me quickly do a rundown. Um, the first, like I, 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 I say this a lot, and it, it, I write it a lot. The first major um, contribution to architecture that wasn't but without a reference point is in Imhotep, and Imhotep is kind of African. So we, it, 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 it's something that comes from our, innately from our spirit, that we can make things out of nothing. That's the essence of generally around Africa. I mean, it's not a particular part of Africa, but around Africa, the essence of the African spirit is that out of nothing, we can actually just initiate something. That's why Lagos works. Now, the problem that we have here is Corbusier, is the last architect that, by, by my reckoning, that tried to create something new out of nothing on a large grand scale that looked at the entire problem and said, you know what, um, because life is changing in this certain way, this is the response that we must make for people to live comfortably in this new type of life that is developing. What seems to have happened after that is a, comfort, a certain comfort around that um, invention that is reminiscent of um, neoclassical times that people now start to dig up old old histories that are, permit me to say, kind of meaningless to the present time and start to build architecture around it. So it forms like a cult that excludes people who are actually doing architecture from it and forces people to go to certain academies to participate in what they call architecture. So it, it, architecture, because of postmodernism, has become a kind of a complex art that it doesn't produce art. And it has happened before. It has happened before and it's happening again. And now what's, what, what's being produced out of schools are more archaeologists and historians that are supposed to be practicing architecture, less architects that want to roll up their sleeves and make things. And that creates complication on all levels in the market. It, it creates complications in places like Africa that need that direct response of an architect, like a doctor, directly to the city to make things out of what, out of the little that we have. Round Africa this time, in Lagos, for instance, 
people live under bridges in Lagos. It's not high time that when bridges are being made in Lagos, we figure out a way to combine some kind of accommodation with bridges. We need not, because of that opportunity, how infrequently that opportunity comes, we need not make a different type of bridge. If we are able to catch the gala sellers and make a kind of road around that gala seller, won't it make it a unique road that is uniquely Lagos? This is what architects should think about and try to do. But I find that because we're coming from a time of, or we're in a time of, we're in the aftermath of postmodernism, we're instead trying to make icons and we are not discovering anymore. We're unearthing histories. And if you don't unearth histories, you can't really participate in the bigger, in the bigger game of architecture. Well, that, that, um, James, I, I do have to come in here. What you said is, is, is quite profound. You mentioned one thing, and that triggered a smile. You talked about adaptation, and um, in a way you mentioned the bridge and the life yes. of the bridge and accommodation of those features which are unique to um, our own sort of urban grain. Now, it's funny because 20 years ago, that is exactly what we were talking about. I mean, we, um, we did a project. Oh, that's true. And it's documented. It's documented. We did a project called the Lagos 2000, which yes. talked about what, um, our response. That what, what, what is the Lagos um, you know, uh, creative collective response to the millennium? Because the government wasn't doing anything at that time. And we had cells and units. And our cell took the very bridge you're talking about, the bridge in front of the marina, and we examine the life underneath it, on it, and above it. And we looked at how we could harness these very typically strange sort of urban developments. I say developments because they, they, they were developing. They were changing all the time. They were never constant. And the fluidity of it is what we looked at. And we did suggest things along the very lines that you're talking about now. But it's quite about, but it's documented and it's in the, um, it's on our website. But that's what I wanted to say. Thanks, James, for bringing that up. See, that, that's the thing about it. It means that the solutions in Lagos are they're just waiting to be harvested. It, 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 I changed right there, but we're, we're not seeing it. That, 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 I think that's my uh, comeback to that. I think the change is right there. And if in twenty years people are saying the same thing, it kind of means that that's true. I hope. Mm. This episode is presented in collaboration with the CIA Lagos to promote creativity in the performance and visual arts. We are proactively adjusting to the new normal and the content is carefully curated to bring far-reaching and opening discussions on design issues affecting Nigeria and Africa in general. Our guests are drawn from a range of veterans in the industry to inspiring newcomers in diverse professions such as music, architecture, art, fashion, to mention a few. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, James, um, let's move over to third on the production. And this one is titled Panda Claus, right? Um, Claus coming from Santa Claus. Um, and this piece was really interesting because you were basically ranting. This was, an, <laughs> this was a rant out of your frustration, you know, about the state of the world and all the numerous wars that are ongoing 
and the casualties of the spores. Um, what I want to know is what was the trigger behind this piece? And, you know, what were you hoping the reader could understand from your rant and your point of view? I mean, remember, remember some time ago when Trump and Iran started to have a problem, then Trump and China started to have a problem, then um, suddenly there was a virus, and then suddenly there's, it, it just, I think everything just came to a head. And I, I started to, oh, rather unfortunately for, 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 for me, it, it looks like the article kind of predicted the riots are happening again by calling on Rodney King's 1992 riot. And what pains me about the world is these cycles happen all the time. And the people who go to war are not the people who make the policy. And nobody cares about the people that are dying and the wastes that are occurring because there's a gun to our head all the time to act in a certain way. And we don't even sit to negotiate if that's what we want. Nobody ever asks you if you want to fight a war or if you want, if you, if you think that foil is something that you want to fight for, or if you think that people should experiment on viruses. Nobody asks that question. They just, they just do it and they say it's for your good. And I can't define what it is that is good for my neighbor, for him, you know? So the, the world, it's, a group of people defining our, our, what is good for us without asking us, without any form of negotiation, and then making us and our children go to war to protect that that we never negotiated for. So I'm asking, basically, who are we and what are we doing here if we can't even participate in something as little as negotiating our position within this whole mess? So if you've been listening to this episode of Africa Design Radio, um, I've been speaking with James Inedu George, architect, thinker, and we've been discussing alongside my guest host, Koku Konu from the CIA Lagos. We've been discussing his latest publication, Interruptions, a compendium of 16 essays. James, I'd like to move over now to Arguably, my favorite piece of this publication, um, titled Makoko. And I think it's my favorite piece because I think I agree with your point of view. Um, but I think I'll let you explain to the, our listeners what you were trying to say um, by that piece. So just take us through what you were, the, the message you were trying to pass by the Makoko piece. Oh, well, that, that piece um, was originally published as a Facebook post some a while ago, and it seems to have cost me a lot of trouble uh, that I'm, I don't regret anything. But the, the thing is, architects are quiet. We live a quiet life. I mean, yeah, we go to parties and things like that, but our life is inherently very quiet. We're forced to be thinkers because we, we, we have to learn so much, and therefore we look for opportunities to explode onto the audience of, of the world. We look for these opportunities to explode. And Makoko made, for lack of a better description, a perfect opportunity for any, any architect who would not really think of the problem as a real problem, who can look at it with, without, the, without any scruples and look at it like, like a design problem in, in university. It opened the door for that to happen. So Makoko became less than less less of a problem but more of a fascination and a toy that architects could jump on like a trampoline to make their careers um pop if i if i can use that and 
I, I had kept quiet for a long time. I had problems with what was happening. I know EC as a person, and EC, EC I, I understood. We, we had had discussions with EC earlier on in our careers, and I understood what she was trying to say. And I, I thought that what she was doing was noble, but she shouldn't call it, um, she shouldn't bring it into the mainstream because I kind of thought that people would do this. Where people suffer, there's that possibility for people to take advantage of that. And that's what happened. Uh, I, be, I beg your pardon. When you say EC, do you mean EC Etomi? Yes, EC Etomi. Yes, um, uh, for, for those that don't know. I saw it as a springboard for architects that they would take advantage of the people and make something that made their career in the West a little bit more sumptuous for people who write about such things and make it less, less habitable for the people that live there. I mean, people have been there for more than 50 years. And um, it's an eyesore. It's not something that anywhere else in the world will be allowed to exist. I'm not saying that you drive the people away. I'm saying that it's the government's responsibility to figure a way to house those people properly so that that prime waterfront property can be turned back into investment for the state. It will make all of us better. If that becomes prime real estate, the state makes more money. We have a better um, a life around it. There's less pollution. Um, we can bring in more development into the state. And for lack of a better thing, there'll be land for people to buy and build these houses that we need to build. But instead, we put those people there and we drive over them and look down at them. And then when it's time for us to want to show that we have international degrees, we make something there that is not more than a pavilion. And um, it just is not fair on the people. And then the thing collapsed eventually. And the students never got education in it there was no toilet in it and what it did was like it just made younger students put all their focus on Makoko and they made nothing out of it but people won international recognition won competitions by focusing on Makoko for nothing Makoko is worse than it was when all this started today but I mean there's been if you if you go in and check there's so much focus and emphasis on these dystopian things about Makoko, but no real architecture, nothing changed. Unfortunately for us, Makoko is still there the same way, unchanged, no growth, no schools. It's a, it's a dump, but everybody has won international awards because of it. Meanwhile, EC knew the solution to the problem, to make it a proper transient village, while the government tries to figure out a way to solve that anomaly. But, well, we didn't let EC be great. Yeah. If you want to hear more interesting episodes of Africa Design Radio, head now to our page on all platforms where you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please do give us a review. You can also write to us at africadesignradio at gmail.com or follow us on social media at africa underscore design underscore radio. I'm Chibweze and you've been listening to Africa Design Radio.